The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. The PFF NFL Podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. If you've been thinking about getting a Simply Safe home security system but have been waiting for the holidays when all the tech deals come out, you've made a smart move. Because right now you can get a great deal on Simply Safe. Just go to simplysafe.com slash PFF. You'll get 25% off any new system. It's an amazing deal. They rarely do this, but they're doing it just for us. Simplysafe.com slash PFF. Simply Safe is great protection for your home and family. They don't make you sign a contract, and there's no hidden fees. They're getting great reviews. CNET, PC Mag, and Wirecutter all say Simply Safe is the best security system there is. So if you're looking for a security system and want a great deal, go to simplysafe.com slash PFF to save 25%. Make sure to use that URL because it really helps out the show. That's simplysafe.com slash PFF. And hurry up. This deal ends November 26th. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. Here we are, Monday morning. We in the afternoon now? Monday afternoon. Yeah. We're live on YouTube. Live right now, as we've been doing the last few Mondays. And uh, we've appreciated all the viewers tuning in. Hello to everyone listening through the conventional podcast way. Just... Uh, Another exciting week, week 12, Sam. The conventional podcast way. Well, you, you don't got, like podcasting. Right? You've got a great way of uh, describing all of these things. Well, it's, it's unconventional. It's new going on YouTube Live. Yeah. That's new. Sure. So, um, we have a lot to get into, as always, because uh, the playoff picture continues to come into focus. I think we should spend some time just maybe focusing on AFC and NFC. Okay. And split it up and just, you know where your team is landing right now, breaking down the playoff picture a little bit. That sound reasonable? Okay. Um, are you feeling unsafe this morning, though, with uh, unsafe. Connor McGregor calling you out on Twitter? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I was saying that there's one of three possible options, right? Either he has, like, an alert set up for just his name because I didn't tag him in the tweet mock. Can you explain what you did really quick? I compared Blake Bortles forgetting how to throw the football 
to Conor McGregor's attempt at throwing the football that went viral earlier this year when he For, was in Dallas. This is the second time you've made that same joke, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Funny both joke, times, so I think. I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't tag him in it. I just mentioned Conor McGregor, the name. So either he, he then quote tweeted this and, you know, <laughs> said some unkind things. Did that help your follower count? I don't. <clears throat> I assume know. a lot of people must be following you now because of it. I would think most people are following me anyway, because why wouldn't you? Did you say he was in Cincinnati? Well, no. So here's the th- Hang on. Let's first, let's find the tweet and figure out what he actually said. The, so he quote tweeted me and said, you, I'm not even going to attempt his Dublin accent, because much though I have a Dublin accent, sort of, um, now, it's not the same. Oh, yeah. That would I'm just confuse all of our listeners if you decided to uh, imitate someone that was Irish. Go ahead. I can't really do like that kind of Irish mm, either. Sure. Uh, you could take the crust off your toast with my laser passing ability, kid. Kid, by the way. I'm like seven years older than he is, kid. but whatever. Open your eyes before they get shut. NFL season, hashtag proper 12, at proper whiskey, at NFL. He just wanted to get those hashtags in there. Does he realize that you're at least a top five Irish analyst in the world? I don't think so, no. Top five Irish football analyst? Um, but anyway, so he did this, right? The only way for him to have seen this would be either... He's got this alert set up for just his name, and he scours all tweets that mention Conor McGregor. Or somebody in my timeline added, replied to the initial Blake Bortles tweet and added him, which is possible, but I didn't see it. Or, like, a friend of his, I guess, is enough of a football fan that they follow me, um, and maybe they just showed it to him. All possible. I just thought that was interesting. And last week... But then, so the interesting thing, the thing that I showed you this morning is when we first moved over here, like a year and a half ago, whatever it was, we stayed in this hotel called 21C Museum Hotel, something or other. They've got, the, they've got one in Cincinnati. Apparently, there's a bit of a chain. There's a few in other locations. But they have this thing where they have these weird yellow penguins, right? And that's like their gimmick. And they have these like three foot tall yellow penguins all around that hotel. They sell like figurines of them and all that kind of stuff. So late last night, McGregor posted a picture of himself standing next to one of these yellow freaking penguins. I'm like, uh, is he in Cincinnati? So you thought he might have been down the street. Well, I'm just saying that, you know, we're talking about a guy that relatively recently jumped on a plane to fly over and throw a dolly through a bus when somebody like slighted him or his. Right. Yeah. And at that point, he'd had a few hours. So it was entirely possible that he jumped on a plane. And was oh, I'm sure he tracked down the kid named Sam Monson right. that was looking for you. Uh, so in the past week, you had him call you out on Twitter. I got called out by Todd Gurley on his uh, Instagram yeah. story. Did anybody catch that? Because, again, it was kind of hitting. You know, stories disappear. It was on Reddit somewhere, right? Yeah. It's deep down on Reddit, uh, Todd Gurley was not happy with my analysis that uh, he's not in the MVP conversation. He said some unkind things. He did. We'll say. Uh, so it happens, man. It happens. Uh, you also had your voice on uh, the Chris Collinsworth football life. I haven't seen that yet, so yeah. I, can't, I can't verify that. That before. was on NFL Network the other night. We had your voice. We had a little, there was a little PFF. Uh, we, we recorded something in the office while Chris was prepping for the Super Bowl last year, and you know, a little snippet made it in there, including your something about Brandon Graham and pressure. And Oh, please something. tell me. it's If only they'd had like the two of us. If they had Debating the bet it. on film, no. you claiming he was going to get 10 sacks and it never happened. how crazy you were? Not on film. It never happened. All right. Let's get, into the, uh, let's get into the playoff picture. Starting with the NFC, 
we saw the New Orleans Saints sitting at the number one seed. They're ten and one. Rams are number two right now at ten and one. But the, we saw the Saints on Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, just continue to roll against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, we internally. Um George Shahuri went around the office late last week asking everybody independently what we thought the line should be on the Falcons-Saints game. And everybody was under double digits, which backed up what he himself thought, which is that this line of 13.5 points at the NFL, or that Vegas had it was kind of over the top. Turned out it wasn't. Turned out the Falcons were well good for a double-digit ass-kicking by the Saints who continue to roll and look absolutely formidable. And what was really impressive in this game was that Drew Brees was doing it. It was like he made a point of everybody I'm going to throw to is going to be an undrafted free agent. Just so yeah. I can show just so I can show that that I have this stable of guys outside of Michael Thomas who are a bunch of nobodies that I can still get production out of. There's your MVP case. Right. I mean that he's that he's throwing the ball. Michael Thomas is outstanding, Kamara's outstanding, but Brees uh, because, and again, I think we capture this extremely well, uh, Breeze and his ball location and just decision-making and everything has just been so on point this year. It hasn't really mattered who he's throwing to. Now, there is something to be said. These guys are generally getting open, but that touchdown pass, I think it was the last one. Is that Dan Arnold over the shoulder? Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. That was, you know, look the safety off, tight window throw down the field, and Breeze on tight window throws this year, uh, accuracy percentage at 65% going into this week. 65 is insane for this number. 65 is a good overall number if you include screens, if you include all open throws. He's at 65 on tight window throws, which is so much higher than everyone else in the NFL. It's not even close. And it's just you know one of those numbers that uh, continues to uh, show how well he's playing this year. Michael Thomas took a real sledgehammer to his catch percentage this week. He only caught four out of six targets. Ooh, 67%. Right, which is way wow. below 90, which is yeah. what he's been averaging so far this season. So the Saints continue to roll. They're in control of their own destiny, of course, because they have the tiebreaker against the Los Angeles Rams. Doesn't look like they're going to slow down anytime soon. The Rams are on by. Let's discuss the Bears. Eight and three. They took on the Lions on Thanksgiving Day as well. Yeah. What are you making a face? Just uh, we're going to wade into this Bears thing again, and you're just, you know, you're setting yourself up. Look, Bears fans, look. Yeah, I said that they gave up 38 against New England. Yes, I forgot. About the special teams points. <laughs> I understand that. But it's not like they played well that game against New England. Their defense. The Bears have the best defense in the NFL. They're incredible. Now, they made some big plays, obviously. Uh, key interceptions down the stretch. Uh, pick six. Eddie Jackson just continues to find the end zone. And uh, the Bears didn't score a ton of points with Chase Daniel at quarterback. But Daniel played okay. He did. He did play okay. And this... <sighs> so... Yeah, the... tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> tread lightly. I'm not comparing Chase Daniel to Mitchell Trubisky, but what I am saying is that this kind of reinforces what we've been saying all season long, which is that the scheme and the supporting cast is all excellent and extremely conducive to a quarterback playing well, or at least uh, getting good production. So Chase Daniel played reasonably well, um, had some excellent statistics, even just the box score stuff. You look at a 27, 37, 230 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of 107, which this season is like slightly above average. Yeah, right. Um, Barely. But this was the same kind of deal, right? There was not much deep. He got he had five attempts that were deep shots. They were all deep right, and he completed one of them. But everything else was basically on the money. Um, 
and the it kind of reinforces that whole point, right? The, the difference he didn't between have to play amazingly, and he still was able to have this kind of production because of what the scheme is doing. But the difference between him and Trubisky was the running ability, where Daniel didn't add much as a runner, where right. Trubisky's picked up a bunch of first downs, both as a scrambler and in the designed running game. If you want to call it a difference, that would be it. Uh, Detroit falls to 4-7, and seven, pretty much out of it yeah. at this point in the NFC, and I still believe this is kind of the regression that was inevitable at some point. You're just shooting for like a holy trinity of pissing fan bases off. You're going for the Lions fans as well? I think Lions fans have turned their attention to the offseason. They're watching our free agent and draft content now. Okay. What do you think? I'm all for you taking shots at all the fan bases and getting all the hate. I'm good. You keep going. Okay. Who else do you want to take a hammer to, Steve? How about the Eagles? Excellent. Let's go. I don't know if this is in order or whatever, but Eagles fans, I mean, they came back and won. They're still technically alive. <laughs> but, man, what a disappointing season. Technically They're alive. Currently number nine in the NFC seeding. Um, I was ready to concede, though, that they're just they're just not good. But it, yeah. it really is so much of what's happening in the secondary. I mean, their secondary is ridiculous. They are decimated. In fact, they're way worse than decimated because if you think back to what decimated is, it's you lose one out of every ten soldiers. Now, granted, they get stoned to death by the other nine, but still. The, the Eagles have lost way more than one out of every ten. They have. They've lost like, the entire secondary. Like four out of five. Yeah, like more, potentially, if you go deep down the depth chart. They are just, everybody they were counting on on the back end is gone, except for Malcolm Jenkins, basically. Um, and we, were t- you know, we said last year we put so much of their Super Bowl season down to the idea that they finally fixed the secondary problems. They had, there have been disasters in corner and wide receiver for years. They finally fixed the cornerback problem, and it was a huge part of propelling them all the way to the Super Bowl. And now all of the, they kind of, at least on paper, retained the talent there, um, even if they let Patrick Robinson go in, in uh, free agency. But then injuries just took an absolute sledgehammer to it. And, I mean, it doesn't matter who's there on paper if everybody's healthy. Nobody's left standing anymore. You see who their starting corners were? This week? Chandon Sullivan. Right. Devontae Bosby. Yeah, and then Cravon LeBlanc was in the slot trying to cover Odell Beckham. Love LeBlanc. Um, I mean, that was just I mean, that's a, that's a disaster. Yeah. I, I don't know. There was a year, a few years ago, where the Patriots had Matthew Slater playing safety, and they were literally pulling guys off the street to play safety who had never played before in like 2011 or so. This might be the most depleted I've ever seen a secondary. Though. And the thing is, they were still like lining guys up in press man coverage against Odell Beckham and saying, give it a shot. Right. What's the worst that could happen? And Odell Beckham saying, I wish, I wish we were a little more aggressive with how banged up yeah. they are. If it was me, I would have gone after those cornerbacks, but apparently that wasn't the game plan. I mean, even Eli's having a good statistical season this year, even though he's not playing well. Um, he's played well to a point. I mean, he's made, a, he's made some decent throws. He hasn't actually been that bad throwing the ball down the field. They're just so conservative. He'll make a few good ones, but... And granted, he had that terrible interception at the end of the half. But um, at this point, why not just be aggressive? The fact that Eli has good stats behind a bad offensive line, I think just shows what that offense is capable of. I mean, Saquon Barkley, as much as we talk about, you know, devaluing the running back and all that fun stuff, he's going to had some QB stats through the years. Yeah. You're going to be getting some free yards and touchdowns from Saquon and what he can do with the ball in his hands. Whether it's Eli or 
the next quarterback there. Uh, we also need to highlight this game as being an opportunity for Brandon Graham that went begging. You had uh, kind of earmarked the two Giants games over the season as a couple of games where Brandon Graham going up against Chad Wheeler could have produced the bulk of the 10 sacks you need him to yeah. acquire this season in order it's not to win your good. bet. It's not looking but good. This, against two, two games against the, uh, the Giants, Brandon Graham has actually managed zero sacks and only four hurries. Zero sacks, zero hits, four total hurries. And still grading really well in the season. Yeah, grading well, but uh, not helping you win your bet. No, I'm not going to win my bet at all. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins did his best to keep the Eagles or, or to uh, to help lead the Eagles to victory. He had the interception of Eli, had a forced fumble, a 92.8 overall grade, one of the best we saw all week. And uh, yeah, Eagles win despite the depleted secondary. Yeah, and that, it's important for them, but I just... They're a team where, obviously, there's still a lot of talent. If they were able to get healthy and patch up that secondary, they would be an extremely dangerous team. Um, I just don't know if the, the margin for error is gone now for the Eagles. Right. Like The good news for them is that that division is still kind of chaotic enough that they're still in it. I mean, they're actually one game back from Dallas and Washington. It's really chaotic. Because, yeah, Dallas, let's, let's discuss Dallas-Washington. They, on Thanksgiving, the playoff picture right now has Dallas at 6-5 and five with the number 4 seed, winning the NFC East with the tiebreaker over Washington, who is now 6-5 and five, and sitting there as a wildcard team yeah. right now. In this NFC that we've talked about all year is just being loaded because it's, just, it's like a playoff game every single week. And you've got Green Bay, you have Atlanta, you have Philadelphia – Seattle and Carolina outside of the playoff picture at the very moment, at this very moment, with Washington sitting there at 6-5. and five. What are your thoughts, Washington columnist, Sam? I mean, I think Washington are probably done just because of that injury to Alex Smith. Um, I don't think that they're demonstrably different with Colt McCoy at quarterback than they are with Alex Smith. They're just worse. Like, the style is going to be broadly the same. He's just not as good. Um, so I think Washington's going to end up falling away. But the Eagles... The good news for them is they still have to play both Washington and Dallas. So in theory, they can propel themselves back into this division race, which could end up being <laughs> tr- truly kind of ridiculous. This could be one of these, you know, eight and eight winning uh, division games again or divisions again by the end of the season. But Philadelphia play Washington up next. They then have to face Dallas, which I think is the real game left in that division. Let's assume Washington are going to fall away. Dallas are the presumptive next team up. They're a game ahead of Philadelphia, and they've already beaten Philadelphia, which means the Eagles really need to win that game if they want to come back into this. So even with the terrible secondary, shouldn't Philadelphia just be so much better than those two teams, though? I mean, when you look at where they're, they're still decent enough on the offensive line. Yeah. They've got playmakers on the outside. Carson Wentz, outside of that Saints game, has played okay. Right. Now, he hasn't played like last year's. It's when he's played well. Last year he was incredible on third down, tough to sustain. He hasn't been there. But Wentz is the best quarterback of the, uh, in that division still. Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia I don't they, think you're appreciating just how bad that second. Oh, I understand. Right I appreciate now. it. but Like, they're bad enough to the point where they're lining people up and you're saying every single snap is a touchdown waiting to happen. Yeah, perhaps. Washington is going to have to ride their defense. Dallas, I think, still has to ride their defense. They're, again, they're, Dallas is in this every-other-game mode. The other day it was Amari Cooper making the big plays, but it's like every other game 
they look like a competent offense, then they look like a bad offense. I mean, I would say the yeah, I would say the Eagles need to win the three remaining games against Washington and Dallas because outside of that, they have to play the Rams away, and they have to play the Texans, who, despite all logic, still keep winning games. Um, so if and they of course are already behind Dallas with the tiebreaker and a game. Right. So if the Eagles actually want to win this division, they need to take those three games from the other teams within the division because they're definitely not beating the Rams and they may not beat the Texans either. It's going to take a superhuman effort from that offense. And if they did an that... An aggressive effort from right. that offense. And if they did that, that would put them at 8-8 eight and eight on the season, which could be enough to yeah. win the division depending on what Dallas managed to do. So NFC East, man... Fun Thanksgiving, watching a little uh, NFC action the whole day. Let's go NFC North. Last night's game, Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. Before the season, we said there are going to be some teams, or at least I said, there are going to be some teams in the NFC with bad records who aren't that bad as a, as a team. Are the Packers that at 4-6-1? and one? There's no way they're that bad. Like in any other season, they're going to be better than that, right? Well, the Packers have the same record right now through 12 weeks as the Cleveland Browns. And, yeah, I would say they are better than the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, that's my point. Uh, Aaron Rodgers continues to just be really weird because on a throw-for-throw basis, grading really well. But a lot of his negative plays, or the plays that are just not moving the ball forward for the team, his 47 throwaways. Did you see that stat I tweeted out last night? No. He's thrown the ball away 47 times. That is a lot. Drew Brees on the season has 82 total incompletions. 82. That includes, of course, off-target throws. It includes throwaways, batted passes. 82. So Rodgers, I'm not saying he's not being aggressive at all because he still makes special throws left and right. His big t- he's got as many big-time throws as any QB in the, in the league right now. But at some point, does he just need to start trusting the system a little bit more, taking chances? They also lead the league in third down sacks. So it's when these negative plays are coming that is just killing Green Bay. If something's not there, Rodgers isn't even taking a chance to make something happen. So he's not turning the ball over, but he's 47 throwaways. Even if you just chuck up 15 or 20 of those, good things could happen, right? And then just a ton of sacks. Yeah. And then just miss throws at key opportune times these last couple of weeks. What is the record for throwaways in a season? Isn't it like 20-something, that Philip Rivers season, where he, where he thought he was throwing away at some crazy rate? Yeah, I, don't, I didn't check, but I think, I think Rodgers has it already. Right. But I'm has sure it by has almost it. double, I think, at this point. I don't know. Let me check um, what Rodgers... What, uh, it was 2012, Rivers had a ton. I don't know if that was the exact record that we've had. It's kind of interesting because... The, the, this Packers offense is getting itself into this situation where it kind of looks a little bit like um, previous Alex Smith-led offenses throughout the league and certain Vikings offenses as well, where because you're not, because you're not taking chances constantly, you're, you're running this game that requires um, essentially an unrealistic level of execution in order to consistently work, Right. So you're throwing away a ton of passes. You're taking sacks here and there. Um, You're not being as aggressive as you need to be constantly into um, windows that essentially require a a bit of guesswork and a bit of gambling to make happen, which means you need to execute what's left at a superhuman level in order to keep the to keep the thing functioning, to keep the thing moving along. And they just keep finding themselves in a situation where they 
they trip up and they're not capable of overcoming the mistake that trips up or the mistake comes in a situation where they've put themselves in a do or die spot. Like they've already made, you know, they've already landed themselves in a, this is a must execute down and you screw that up and now it's game over. So like this, this Packers offense is via a slightly different methodology. They've kind of wound up in that situation where they're just, they're demanding their own execution be way higher than it's actually capable of being in order to function. But the difference then with the comparison you made between an Alex Smith or a Vikings offense is that Aaron Rodgers is capable of making these special right. throws. He's got 30 big-time throws. That's tied for second in the league against only three turnover-worthy throws. That is an absurd ratio. If you're 2-1 to one in that ratio, it's absurd. I mean, it's really good. 2-1 to one's good. 3-1 to one's excellent. 4-1, to 5-1, to one, you start to get into the best in the league. Like Drew Brees, for instance, 24 big-time throws and six turnover-worthy throws, and that's great. Like 4-1 to one's awesome. Aaron Rodgers is 10 to 1. Now, this doesn't include his fumbles. Throw a couple fumbles in there, he's closer to 5 or 6 to 1, but it's still the best ratio in the league by a wide margin. But then there's a million sacks in there as well. Yeah. And inopportune sacks, right? The sacks, the throwaways, these are all just costing you downs and putting you in a situation where you need to make something special happen in order to keep the drive alive. And we see this like, the, like last night, the final drive. Uh, Rogers' last drive, he makes a special downfield throw. It's awesome. And then he comes back and misses a third down in the flat and then misses a wide-open touchdown. And that wouldn't have been a big-time throw if he hit the touchdown. That was wide open. That was just – that was a gimme. Yeah. And he left a lo- an easy grade on the table. And they're kind of in the same situation a little bit as Philadelphia in terms of getting banged up in the secondary. You know, there's, there's big plays uh, happening on the other side of the ball. So you need Rodgers to keep ticking over. You need him to actually keep functioning and keep scoring – and they just they keep putting themselves in this position where they need to make it happen on this down right now, otherwise the drive's done. Right. And as good as Rodgers is playing, and he's making a ton of these plays, the number of plays he's leaving on the table it always arises in this, in this key down, this key situation, and that's why they're falling short in these games. Yeah, last two weeks, uh, some very important misses in opportune times. His, his numbers in the fourth quarter this year are still really good. Yeah. But in key games in recent weeks at New England... At Seattle last night, uh, all on the road here. At Minnesota, haven't been great. Um, so Green Bay at 4-6-1. and one. Now, if they still win out, it's possible. They can win out. It is possible. Happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. I would say it's But they would be nine. Uh, yeah. Given the current state of this team. Five more wins to get to 9-6-1. and one. Yeah. So they're they're uh, hanging by a thread. Minnesota six four and one. They head to New England next week, and then what do they have? Seattle after that, right? I mean, they've got a tough. They road. have like the hardest stretch of any team, I think. They're as of a week or so ago, or two weeks ago, their strength of schedule remaining for the season was like the toughest of any team in the NFL. Yeah, um, they're going to have a pretty tough road of it. Does anything sum up Kirk Cousins more than back to back Sunday night games? where one week he's a disaster and he's not worth the money, and the next week it's big throw after big throw, and he's everything you want. Granted, man, there were some passes that were off target that, or even just even on target, but that were just like Phelan's making great catches, Rudolph's making great catches. That receiving core is awesome. But nothing sums up Kirk Cousins. Like one week, everybody's writing him off. He's overrated. And then the next week, he's playing the game he's supposed to play against the Green Bay Packers, your, your big rival. 
Yeah, this, I mean, this was the game where Kirk Cousins uh, showed why they brought him in, right? He's done this against the Packers both times. They kept showing on the broadcast on Sunday Night Football the numbers he's had against Green Bay have right. just been absurd. Like both, I think, at Washington and now for the Vikings, um, his numbers against the Packers have just been insane. And obviously you think back to how much the kicker has screwed them, collective kickers, multiple kickers have screwed the Vikings over these two games against the Packers. Um, Carlson, I think, missed three kicks in the first game. And then Dan Bailey, did he miss two yesterday? Uh, to the point where Mike Zimmer came out and said he's not even kicking after halftime. He's not, not putting it in the hands of the, uh, the kicker anymore. Um, but, yeah, this was the game that Kirk Cousins was supposed to have. Thielen and Diggs remain ridiculous in terms of route running and the ability to make special things happen. Like the the matchup between Diggs or between Thielen rather and uh, Jair Alexander was pretty fun. Oh, it was awesome. Because Alexander yeah. had a couple of spectacular plays against him. The one early on where he just destroyed a bubble screen by essentially taking amazing. a flying leap at Adam Thielen, understanding he wasn't going to get round him. Right. And just decided he was going to go through him instead. <clears throat> and right through him to the receiver. Yeah, tossed Adam Thielen into. Was it Diggs that was taking yeah. the bubble screen? Diggs ended up running backwards for Right, just killed the play for like a five-yard loss because he torpedoed Thielen. But he also had another play later in the game where he decked Thielen basically by jamming him at the line. Just a straight press coverage, jam at the line, put Thielen on, or put Thielen on, his, on his ass. Um, but then Thielen got him a few times in terms of route running. Managed to shake him loose a couple of times. Um, made a couple of plays against him. So that was a fun kind of battle back and forth between those two. All right, so let's let's move on. So, again, tough road for Minnesota. So they have at, they're, uh, at the Patriots, at the Seahawks. Then they play the Dolphins at home. They Then the, the last two games are the ones that are going to define their season because they're on the road against the Detroit Lions in Week 16, and then Week 17 is at home against the Chicago Bears who could have wrapped up the division by then, could have nothing to play for. Either way, that's likely to be fairly defining for the Vikings. Yeah, they're essentially a game and a half, kind of, behind Chicago because of this stupid tie yeah. throwing things off. Um, but really more like two games because of the tiebreaker. So if you're in Minnesota, you're focused on the Redskins. You're focused on the teams we're going to talk about next with Seattle and Carolina, Philadelphia. Um, so it's all about getting that wild card spot. Uh, Seattle Seahawks and Carolina Panthers talk about two teams now going in different directions. Seattle beats Green Bay two weeks ago. Huge win in Carolina now. They're both 6-5 and five with Seattle holding the tiebreaker. And as you look at these standings here, uh, Washington, Seattle, and Carolina are all 6-5. and five. We already talked about Washington with Colt McCoy at the helm. You have to feel pretty good about Seattle sliding into that wild card spot now. Right. We said a while ago that it looked like they may be the team that kind of ends up 500 or, or better, but ends up missing out in the playoffs because they had to face the Rams twice. This week, this game was something that might actually change that. Like they, they beat a team in Carolina on the road that they probably weren't expected to win. Um, and that pro- basically propels them past the Panthers in that uh, hierarchy of NFC teams chasing the playoffs, um, and they have almost the reverse of the Vikings' problem. So they face the Vikings, but they get to play the 49ers twice. They haven't played them yet. They do have to face the Chiefs, which is a problem, but then they get the Arizona Cardinals as well. So for them, that should be at least three wins, even if they lose against both of the good teams that they're facing, and bearing in mind the Vikings are coming to Seattle. 
Like if they win three games, that puts them at nine. If they get yep. if they get the Vikings as well, that's ten wins. That would that should put them in the playoffs. Is it crazy to think that Seattle and their situation, the situation that Russell Wilson is 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 in in Seattle, is not that different from what Aaron Rodgers is in in Green Bay? Talent and coaching around him. Yeah, I don't see a great parallel that you seem to. But sell I'm not it to saying me. it's I'm not saying it's a perfect parallel. But sell it I, to me. I'm saying in recent weeks, Russell. Look, Russell Wilson's had his fair share of mishaps in the fourth quarter this year. We've had pick sixes against the Chicago Bears and against the Chargers. However, also game on the line against Green Bay made it happen. Game on the line yesterday against Carolina made it happen. And overall, he's still grading pretty well statistically. Everything's pretty good. All that fun stuff. And he's doing it with an offensive coordinator who came in there and said, "I'm running the ball. We are going to run." The ball. I know we have Russell Wilson, who's a top five to ten quarterback, but we are going to run the ball. And Russell Wilson still having an excellent season, and in recent weeks making these plays in crunch time. Seattle's defense, not good. They're not True. good. He does not. He has the worst situation of his career. Whoa. I would say. Whoa, Russell there. Wilson. Do you think last year was worse? I think the there are years where his offensive line has been so actively trying to kill him that. You can't possibly say that this current one is a worse. I'm talking about his team situation as far as uh, as far as winning football games. I would suggest that if the Seahawks make the playoffs this year, they will be one of the most dangerous teams that nobody would want to face. I think that's everybody in the NFC, though. Eh, I, I wouldn't want like if Minnesota's at the five. If Minnesota's the five seed and Seattle's the six seed, I would much rather face Minnesota than Seattle. If if I'm one of the top seeds heading into the postseason. I don't know. I think you're heading into a year where on, in both conferences, the five and six seeds might be better than the, or have as, as good of a shot of knocking off the division winners as any year in, in previous, in the past. Yeah, I'm just saying that, the, I mean, the Vikings will be strong essentially on defense again if they get back in shape, and that matters less than it's ever mattered before. The Seahawks' defense isn't great, but they have Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is capable of beating essentially any of these teams yeah. almost single-handedly. I would not want to face Russell Wilson if I was pretty much so any team in the NFC. That's the other part. He's baking names out of no names in the receiving core. So the ex- every excuse that Aaron Rodgers has, it's Mike McCarthy, it's the play calling, he doesn't have any easy throws, he's got no receivers. Like there's truth in all of that, but to put it all on that, like Aaron Rodgers still is miss- he missed those easy throws when he needed to. It's not like he doesn't. He had a wide open checkdown. Everybody's like, "Oh, they don't." He never gets any nice easy throws. He had a wide open checkdown when he took a sack last night in the fourth quarter in a, in a key situation. I just think there are some parallels there. I'm impressed with what Seattle's doing. That's all. Yeah, I mean, like I say, this was a this was a watershed game for them. This propelled them past the Carolina Panthers in the NFC seeding and put them essentially from outside looking in to right. I think they'll they're, they're now. Um, I don't know if they're favorites, but they are firmly in the mix to take that wild card spot. And then with Carolina, Cam played a very efficient game again. Had the bad interception. Are they the worst six? And are they the worst? Six? No, no. They're they're a reasonable six and five team now. <laughs> they were a bad six and two team. I mean, they were the worst. I've been proven correct, right? They're the worst <laughs> six and two team in history because now they're six and five. Okay. So Carolina has now they lost to Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle. Over the last three weeks, um, 
they've got Cam playing at the most efficient level of his career when it comes to completion percentage and all that stuff. He has that nice, uh, you know, he's got, you got Christian McCaffrey setting records for percentage of snaps that he's playing. That's crazy. Like, we, we should talk about that a little bit. Christian McCaffrey right now is playing 97% of his team snaps. He has only missed 21 snaps so far this season. They've played 600 and something, and he's missed 21 of them. Now, for any position, that's pretty good. Like, there are offensive linemen that have missed 21 snaps, and offensive linemen typically play every single snap of the season. What I haven't looked into yet, but we should check out, is how many of those 21 snaps were him getting banged up and having to miss a play or two, or how many they actually voluntarily took him off the field for. Because basically, they're not doing that at all at the moment. Um, now Todd Gurley this year is up at 80, what did we say? 84%, something like that. We looked it up. We'll have to do a video on this, but I think it's three or four of the top 10 from a percentage standpoint, since we started this in 2006 or from this year, Gurley's up there. Barkley's up there, but the highest figure we've ever seen from a running back was Matt Forte back when, again, he never came off the field and he was playing 90, what was it? 94 point something percent of his snaps. So there is a clear jump between the between the highest percentage of snaps we've ever seen from a running back and what christian mccaffrey is being asked to do right now and this is from a guy who is an undersized running back who people questioned whether he could be a feature play a feature running back at the next level because he's small because he never blah blah all this kind of stuff like he is more of a workhorse right now than any other back in the league or than any back we've ever seen yeah, it's that's incredible. kind of insane. The little guy, yeah, little Christian McCaffrey, um, and we saw. I was, you know, I always like to talk about the easy touchdowns. Cam's last touchdown was wide open in the flats of McCaffrey, but the throw before that was spectacular. On, uh, I think it was Olsen's hands in the end zone, really nice. Let's go back to Cam. We could spend an hour talking about Cam as always. These are really small sample size numbers, but they're kind of funny, so we should mention them. This week against the Seahawks, uh, Cam Newton's passer rating when from a clean pocket was 136. Uh, when he was pressured, it was 2.8. Oh, boy. it's a big difference. Yeah. Now, he was only pressured six times, so we're only talking about six plays. But still, two, uh, two completions for 17 yards with an interception in there. Here's my um, – as I'm looking at the stat, this is amazing. Oh, man. Let me just drop it right now. Number three. Who – we have those two guys tied for third in turnover-worthy plays this year. Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Perfect. Both tied with 15. That's amazing. I still say they should decide who's starting by coin flip before the game, and that guy gets to halftime to prove he deserves to go out for the second half. Wow. I don't see a problem with that. They're actually tied with Andy Dalton and Andrew Luck as well. Uh, Cam Newton has 14 turnover-worthy throws. Mm-hmm. Tied for seventh worst in the league. He's tied with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh-oh. Eli Manning and Case Keenum. So in a year where he's doing, he's got the highest completion percentage by far of his career, and the, you know it's a shorter pass game. Average depth of target is under eight, which is absurdly low for him. He only has eleven big time throws, and that's where he's supposed to be special, right? So eleven big time throws ranks twenty fifth in the NFL. Actually, just ahead of Deshaun Watson and Marcus Mariota, who play tonight. Alex Smith is in that range. Sam Darnold. Zach Prescott, Joe Flacco, Mitchell Trubisky. Is this the so even though you've manipulated Cam into this more efficient what? Oh, you mean the Panthers rather than not me. you, the Panthers. You've manipulated him into a more efficient passer. Is that truly what you want? 
because he's still got the high turnover worthy play percentage, you know, including that, you know, like pick six against Pittsburgh and all that stuff, the bad decisions. Do you really want to harness him that much? Well, this was always the question, right? This is why I was kind of disappointed that this marriage between North Turner and Cam Newton didn't just run the North Turner playbook from the last time we saw him running that, which is the seventh step drop stuff, the two wide receivers out in patterns, the max protect, the deep down the field stuff that when you don't have an offensive line and you don't have great receivers and you don't have a quarterback that's prepared to basically fire the ball into 50-50 situations regularly results in this endless uh, procession of checkdowns that goes nowhere and it looks miserable. So you saw this with Teddy Bridgewater and that North Turner offense and it just looked depressing for everybody involved. But the one quarterback I think that might actually marry up with that and make it look interesting in today's NFL is Cam Newton. Because we said for years, again, (laughs) why fight this concept that Cam Newton is an inherently inaccurate quarterback when compared with actual accurate quarterbacks. But instead of fighting that, let's look at what he does well. And what he does well is makes these big-time throws down the field. He He can fire the ball into tight windows down the field. He has one of the top five strongest arms in the NFL. All of the big, uh, the kind of high-impact things that he can do marries amazingly well with this North Turner system that he's kind of abandoned to try and turn him into this high-efficiency passer that just it doesn't quite have the same effect. But, uh, but on the other hand, you're getting the, you, you want to get the outcome of your passing attack, and you're getting there. You know, he's got the highest passer rating and all that fun jazz of his career even though it's relative to the rest of the league. Yeah. It's not that. Great. Everybody's jumped up. So, yeah. So, it's just more Cam discussion. What do we do with Cam? What do we do with Cam? Uh, so Carolina's put themselves in a little bit of a hole, but they're still very much in it because again, they're competing with Minnesota, Washington, Seattle, Philadelphia for that wild card spot. Yeah, and they have so they travel to face the Bucks, they travel to face the Browns, which is no longer a gimme. Um, but then they get again, this it, the NFC South every single season seems to play each other all in the last three weeks of the season. Yeah. So in the last three weeks, the Panthers have to play home and away against the Saints, and they have to uh, face the Falcons again for the second time, this time at home. So those three games... It's a rough stretch. Right. And those three games probably define their season, right? How they do against the Saints in that series and whether they get a, a win against the Falcons. Uh, did we hit everybody pretty much? Didn't touch on Arizona, San Francisco. They're battling two and nine, battling for that number one overall pick. What about the Browns? Uh, this we're, I'm talking about the NFC. Here. Oh, the NFC. We still doing the NFC. We still have the AFC to do. God, if you don't want to be here, yeah, you can go. I can. No, no, you can't. We oh, need okay. you here. We need you here. The people Dude, want to hear could, you. You could do like a Bill Burr monologue podcast just by yourself for the next thirty minutes. Oh, that would be terrible. I don't think anybody wants that. How long would you last? Um, if you had to sit here and just talk on your own. Who is this guy in our chat here taking over our chat? I don't know. I'm not reading the chat or the comments. Sometimes you have to. Sam. I don't think you do. Sometimes you have to. I don't think you would last half an hour doing a monologue Bill Burr style podcast. I'll do one. Oh, so we wanted to have a little poll for everyone too because we've been talking about doing a bonus podcast. We'll put an actual poll out there on the PFF podcast. We will? Um, yes, we're going to put a poll out there. Okay. Okay. If we were to have a bonus podcast, middle of the week, what would you want to hear? Something 25, 30 minutes? Is it, you know, something breaking down, a positional ranking? 
Is it going through in more depth about some of the news, something in depth about our grading? What, else, what other types of stuff could, do you think we could do midweek that would work? I want to hear what the listeners have to say, but give more ideas of what we well, could do. Well, we've got a half an hour podcast we could do today on uh, Joe Schmidt leaving Ireland. Can you stay on topic, please? No. Ireland's going to be fine. Look, they, Joe Schmidt's he's, he's had a great run with Ireland, but they they're beat, prepared for this. They beat the USA this week. All right. Can you finish my thought here while it's... What was fresh? your thought? Other ideas for a midweek podcast. That Bonus was finished. Podcast. We did it. It was the end. All right. You guys come up with Period. ideas then. You guys there. come up with ideas. Period. That's finished. <clears throat> Done. Okay. I literally put a period at the end of your thought. It's now finished. Thanks. You're really helpful. Okay. A lot of people questioning your uh, mustard shirt there. In what way are they questioning it? Uh, probably the color. What's... How, what? I don't understand. What's the question about a mustard shirt? It's a strong mustard. It's mustard colored. That's the end. Let's discuss the AFC playoff picture. Okay. A little bit. Uh, Pittsburgh, Denver. Uh, Pittsburgh losing in Denver has them drop from potential number two seed to number four currently if the playoffs started today, which they don't, obviously. And Pittsburgh has a tough road. They still have to play the Saints. They still have to play the Chargers. They still have to play New England. And, and they never win against New England. They don't. I, this was, I thought they were going to pull it off. We were watching this game in the office. Thought they were going to pull this one off. I thought they were going to take it to overtime and ruin our late segment on Sky. That's yes. what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, they were going to knock us off Sky, but we made it. We made it onto Sky for our for our daily recap. Um, they, I don't know if they're in trouble necessarily. They'll, they'll still make the playoffs, but I think they're in trouble for that number two seed potentially. I think it, I think it'll end up being Kansas City and New England getting buys. Yeah. So what's interesting about the Steelers is the James Conner thing is kind of gone away a little bit like he was on this incredible tear he was matching any production that Le'Veon Bell has ever had and then the past couple of weeks it's gone AWOL uh, against the Jags he had nine carries for 25 yards this week it was 13 carries for 53 yards um, and it's kind of this perfect embodiment of okay a guy can be really good and be playing extremely well but then the blocking disappears and what does it matter like, you can't, as a running back anymore, overcome the blocking that's put in front of you for any extended period of time. We're kind of seeing, and people are, so what's ironic is that some people are using this as like a, oh, well, you still think he's as good as Le'Veon Bell? Yeah. But, it, like, the whole point is that it doesn't matter. Like, it's he's probably not as good as Le'Veon Bell. He's dependent like every other running fine, back is the thing. But both he and Le'Veon Bell are dependent on the blocking and the situation around them. The bigger The bigger issue is Pittsburgh came out decided to throw the ball. They threw the ball 30, 31 times in the first half. They were Xavier Grimble was running into the end zone and decided to to Will try to Parks. hit Justin uh try to hit Will um Will Parks and gets the ball. I mean, so that's Well, that was your first mistake. Taking on Will Parks. Don't mess with Will Parks. Bobby Slowick's guy. Your favorite, his favorite from draft season. So Pittsburgh scored 17 points, but they're a weird Xavier Grimble play away from 24. And then Big Ben has them dri- uh, driving down and a bad decision in the red zone, you know. Bad doesn't do that justice. I mean, that was horrendous. Yeah, decision. that could have been picked by two guys. Like it was picked by the defensive tackle and you get kind of caught up with, oh, how come he didn't see that guy? Why couldn't he? Do-? And you're like, forget the defensive tackle is there for a minute. Like plot the path of that ball past the defensive tackle and see what was going to happen. Like it was going to get picked off by somebody else. Oh, yeah, it would have been bad. Like Marquise Pouncey had the best shot at that pass of any Steeler, and he was, like, he had no shot at it. Right. Like, the, the, that pass was unbelievably bad. Uh, 
Big Ben played a really good game other than that, though. Um, under pressure, that 97-yard touchdown to Juju was, was fantastic. Uh, the Steelers' offense is still fine. Yeah. I, I don't... I, for the 20th year in a row, I don't trust their defense. Pro bowler, Marquise Pouncey, getting, I, I mean, I don't even know what you call that. It was, he, he didn't even provide a speed hump to Shelby Harris on that play. No. Shelby Harris took him and launched him backwards towards Ben Roethlisberger. You tweeted it out. It was unbelievable. Like he, I mean, Shelby Harris is a pretty good interior rusher. We've been saying that before. He's one of those preseason PFF studs who actually became a useful player. Yeah. But Pouncey was destroyed on that play. He's the uh, leading vote-getter, by the way, in the Pro Bowl. Has absolutely no business being anywhere near the Pro Bowl this season. Yeah. I'm not saying he's bad, but he is average again for the... How many times he's been in the league now? Or how many seasons? 2011? So, first, yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So he's average for the eighth season in a row. Yeah, that looks right. Uh which is what he is. But for some reason, he was anointed as a perennial pro bowler right from the get-go. So that's what he will always be. Though, actually, if you look at the... I only saw a couple of tweets about this, but the kind of leading vote-getters in pro bowl votes, they're all Pittsburgh Steelers. So all that sort of shows you is that the Steelers apparently can mobilize the hell out of a pro bowl vote because everybody at the top of the They're one of our worst fan bases as far as just general... Well, it's because they're spending all of their time voting for the Pro Bowl. That explains a lot. They're not reading or listening to anything we do. They are all out there endlessly hitting enter on their Pro Bowl ballots. On the wrong players because they don't listen to us. Well, on their players. It doesn't matter if they're wrong or not. It's just they're voting for Steelers players. That's true. Um, We love you Steelers fans, kind of. Who else can we piss off? Uh, New England takes care of business. We just started the AFC, so we we can notch off another few as we go. You can't piss off Patriots fans. Really? No. I think you'll find I've done that quite successfully in the past. Oh, wait. You may have, you may have pulled that off. Yeah. Uh, so the pa- Patriots take care of business against the Jets. They now take over the number two seed. And again, you know, they sh- you know they are, they're in control of their getting a bye, which has been pretty crucial for their Super Bowl runs. Gronk made two of the most spectacular plays of the week. And essentially, one was a catch and one was a pass breakup. Um, like, and they were almost the same play, actually, just in slightly different situations. He caught a beautiful pass for a touchdown deep down in the middle and held on through like almost immediate bang-bang contact. The ball arrives. He takes a solid shoulder from the safety, still holds on touchdown. That's a great play. But then he also like lays out in the right corner of the end zone, full extension, pass breakup with one hand on a, on a ball that would have been intercepted by the defensive back right behind him. That is one of the best defensive plays you'll find this entire season. That's because it, it was, got owned on the route. Right, but it, it was preventing the interception. Yeah, it got owned on the route on the way there, though. Yeah, but, but it, I, he did it go full Des Bryant. Incredible pass breakup. Better than Julio's? Well, that was a hit rather than a sort yeah. of play on the ball. Um, so different types of pass breakup, but as good. Gronk's still um, not the same guy. Still not separating. And when we talked about, you know, it's fun to highlight individual players, even in losing efforts. Jamal Adams was just fantastic. We highlighted him on our Sky show or our Sky segment yesterday. Exactly why the Jets drafted him. I know it's a losing effort and all yeah. that stuff. What? But he was targeted four times, didn't give up a catch, broke up a pass against Gronk, had that one where he cut. It. He just owned him on a couple deep routes where Brady forced the ball to Gronk, 
and then he was around the line of scrimmage with four run stops. And again, I know they gave up 200 yards on the ground and all that stuff, but as an individual effort goes, Jamal Adams was fantastic. What's impressive is that he is this throwback player who still hits, still gets really physical and aggressive and plays in a way the game used to be played back in like 1997. Um, And apparently you can still do that. Most people can't. Like it's get it gets flagged everywhere, but somehow Jamal Adams is still able to thrive and be successful um, in 2018, playing in that way, which I think is extremely encouraging for everybody because it's not like he's doing that, getting flagged every week, you know. And you're just sort of saying, well, okay, he's playing really well, so we'll accept 20 penalties in a season, the same way you do with Indomitian Sue throughout his career. It's like he will be the most penalized player on the defensive line, but he's good enough that we don't really care. Uh, Jamal Adams has been flagged once this season. Like, he is out there decleating guys with hits and wrecking people. Legally. And he's been flagged once. So you can still play in this violent, aggressive manner, in this sanitized, um, padded, you know, cotton wool protected environment of today's NFL. It's possible. Just see Jamal Adams. He's showing you. Yeah, he's playing really well. Um, that's why they drafted him. They drafted him to to slow down Gronk, and and for the most part, he did. Um, so New England's at number two. Kansas City had a bye. Houston's playing tonight. They're at the number three seed right now. Uh, Chargers took care of business against the Cardinals. Philip Rivers, one incompletion. Yeah, and then Geno Smith came in and threw three. That was awesome. Yeah, Philip Rivers goes twenty eight for twenty nine. Um, I think some people are going to be wondering if R- Philip Rivers doesn't miss a throw. Why doesn't he have a 100 grade? Why doesn't he have a perfect passer rating? And it's actually funny. By every metric, he wasn't the best quarter. By every metric, he wasn't the best quarterback in the league yesterday. Whether you're using straight passer rating, I don't think he was. If you were using QBR, if you were using adjusted net yards per attempt, because you know difficulty of throw and and all that stuff has a factor as well. But he played a really good, efficient game. He did. I mean, there's. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's possible to be extremely good and not the best in, you know, anything. So I think he's going to wind up being our, what, number two graded quarterback on the week. And he's probably like number, he's probably top three in pretty much yeah. every statistical category. It's just that the only reason anybody is talking about it is because he went 20, whatever. Eight straight, of 28 of 29. But however many straight oh, completions that was look. and broke the record. Can we pour one out for Mark Brunel? Mark has got nothing left. He's my all-time favorite player. Right, and that was the only thing he had left. That was his record. He did it with Washington. He didn't do it during my my heyday watching him as as you know when he was with the Jags. But uh, Mark's record. What else does Mark have? He's been expunged from the record books. Philip Rivers has wiped them off. Now it's just Mark Brunel, guy who used to play football. Yeah, now he has nothing else except for key interceptions in AFC Championship games. Yeah, man, Mark. I'm just I'm throwing off my game now. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, so this is, you know, when if the Chargers have to go to Houston or go to Pittsburgh, um, they do play Pittsburgh in a couple weeks. I'm talking in the playoffs, though. Yeah, huh? dangerous. The Chargers for the eighth straight year, Los Angeles Chargers, dangerous. Yeah, formerly the San Diego Chargers. They are. I mean, Joey Bosa being back is obviously huge for them. He had two sacks, uh, three more hurries over the course of that game, a couple of defensive stops. Um, I mean, one of the big stories is that. Like, Melvin Ingram this year has not been nearly as good as he was a year ago. He's still been pretty good. Um, he's got six sacks, which obviously is down from last season, even extrapolated over the season. Nine hits, 31 more hurries. 
which are all I mean basically every number he's got is down over a year ago where yeah. he, which was a career year for him I think there's some season. dependency there's some dependency on Bosa This is where I'm going right so now Sorry. you get Joey Bosa back and suddenly a it should help Ingram now that he's not the focal point in terms of pass rush but B even if it doesn't you've probably got a better player to have to worry about so that really could be a, a major impact uh, or ma- major difference maker for this Chargers defense, having Joey Bosa back. Um, and then obviously you've still got those guys cooking in the secondary, Derwin James, Casey Hayward, um, the guy from the slot. Who's their slot defender? Desmond King. Desmond King. Sorry. Um, you've got you know. those guys cooking. So this defense is kind of dangerous as well. Oh, absolutely. They're a very dangerous team, both sides of the ball. Good job, Phillip Rivers. Very efficient game. Not so good, uh, Geno Smith. Uh, Baltimore currently sitting at number six. Uh, in the AFC playoff picture, they beat the Raiders. Lamar Jackson, second straight win. Felt like the full Lamar Jackson experience again, right? I mean, when I'm looking up, there's misreads of underneath linebackers yeah. over the middle. This week, we and got then he's the dropping plays. dimes down the field. Right. This week, we got the big plays, and even <clears throat> some of them didn't count. There was at least one deep uh, down the right sideline that got called back for holding. Um, he incidentally tweeted out a video of all of his like completions. I think today, yesterday, maybe. As he if did. to be like, see, I can pass the ball. Look, here, there's a video of it. Watch. Um, his numbers, He's by millennials the way, and their pettiness. His numbers, by the way, are incredible. And they're incredible the opposite way that Cam Newton's are incredible. So Lamar Jackson from a clean pocket this week. Now, bear in mind, you know, clean pocket is where you do your best work. It's usually a pass rating over 100. It's often way over 100. From a clean pocket this week, Lamar Jackson's passer rating was 39.4. Which is like throwing the ball into the dirt. About lower, the same. lower than throwing Low, the ball oh yeah, into six. the dirt every single play. His passer rating when under pressure, though, was 118.8. Wow. Which is like the opposite way those, those numbers should be. It happens with the Raiders, I guess. Well, yeah, that's going to help. Um, and then obviously you've got to factor in what he did on the ground. 11 carries, 71 yards, a touchdown, etc. Also fumble the ball, but we will say less about that. Jim Everett just tweeted at me. Yeah? I'm going to call him Chris. I wouldn't do that. He gets angry when people do that. He sent me a, uh, a gif or a gif of a turnover in relation to, uh, in, re- in response to my turnover-worthy play. Tweet. Oh, yeah? I'm going to call him Chris. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do He that. doesn't have a table to topple over in front of me. I'll just say, thanks, Chris. I'll say, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, that anger. Are people old enough to remember? Probably not, no. Just There's YouTube. Like three people that understand what YouTube, we're talking Jim about. Jim Everett, Chris Everett, Jim Rome. It was good stuff. Uh, so Baltimore sitting there at number six. I, I'm, I'm going to st- – I mean, my pre-draft analysis on Lamar Jackson that he is going to be this guy that you could build an offense around and all that stuff remains. But going up against the Bengals and the Raiders the first two weeks, right. probably not the best gauge of anything. And he's still, from a passing standpoint, so inconsistent yeah, I'm not going to go tweet out his 20 best plays and say, okay, he's the next big Well, you thing. don't need to. He's already done it. Thanks. Thanks, Lamar. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is kind of like what we were saying about the Colts offensive line. It's like, yeah, it's nice, but we don't really know anything yet. So, you know, Lamar Jackson's won two games. He's done it in two slightly different ways. Great, but it was against two terrible teams. So what do we know? Um, and the answer is probably nothing yet. Now, where it gets interesting is if you look at who – he has to play over the remainder of the season because we've got Atlanta, whose defense struggles as long as Deion Jones isn't coming back, Yep. which I think is going to be never so that I keep talking about 
This is the week Deion Jones is back, and then they're just never going to put him out there. Yeah, so you need to stop doing week, that in the preview yeah, podcast. Every week I'm going to preview something that doesn't happen. Then we've got the Kansas City Chiefs defense, which is not exactly good. It's better than we thought it would be. Getting better. But it's still, you know, it's not good. Um, then the Bucks, their defense is terrible. They've been starting guys a linebacker that nobody's ever heard of. Um, then the Chargers. Okay, that may be a problem. Cleveland Browns. Um, so the end, at least, of the schedule. But we may not know anything about Lamar, essentially, until like week 16. Yeah, I agree. Or he's just, he is what we thought he was, which is, you know, he'll be fun to watch. Uh, the rest of the picture here, we've got Baltimore at 6-5. and five. The Colts are now 6-5. and five. Uh, They pull off the win against Miami, who falls to 5-6. and six. Obviously, that's a huge game as they're battling for a wild card spot. Also have Tennessee at 5-5 five and five playing tonight. Cincinnati falls to 5-6, and six, and Denver's up to 5-6. and six. So we have uh, seven teams. Is this right? Seven teams within a game. Six, uh, six teams within a game of each other for the final wild card spot right now. Yeah, and we need to mention that it's week 12, and officially the Cleveland Browns are still in the hunt. Still playing. Still playing for real football. In here. the hunt. Now, okay, they've got no shot of actually doing anything. No, they do. No, they don't. If we were podcasting back in 1996 and my Jags were sitting there at 5-7, and seven, you would have written them off. And I actually had it all mapped out. I said, if a million things happen and the Jags win out and they go 9-7, and seven, they're going to go to the playoffs. Right. And that doesn't make that smart. It just means that you were like... You, you know, would have written them off, though, in our hypothetical 1996 podcast. You know the way podcast. Neil's been picking the Giants every week and one week he's going to be right? Like It doesn't make it smart. It just means it finally it went the way you were picking it. Cleveland might be up. So, but they could go 9-6-1. and like, one. Yeah, you can... You can cobbled together a scenario by which the Browns make the playoffs and Baker Mayfield wins the Super Bowl, it's just not going to happen. Not this year, at least. No, but I think let's not, we don't need to like over-egg this, right? Let's acknowledge and celebrate this idea that it's week 12 and they are officially still in the hunt. It doesn't matter that they're not actually going to you know, have any shot of the playoffs. The idea that in week 12 they don't have to look for the draft already. Right. Is in and of itself an achievement. As we mentioned, killing our draft content. Uh, Baker Mayfield last two weeks, I've seen the stat. Everybody's throwing the stats out there. He's got this number two passer rating over the last two weeks behind only Drew Brees. And my answer has been he's playing exactly how he did before. Outside of two games, ah, he struggled. There you go. He's playing just as well throw for throw as he was earlier in the year. He just has guys like Nick Chubb going up over defenders picking up. You know, that scoring was touchdowns. He has David and Joku being thrown into the end zone for touchdowns. Think about what that does to your passer rating when you have a guy thrown into the end zone for you. That was one of the worst defensive plays of the weekend. That's not going to get talked about by anybody. Yeah. So David and Joku catches a short pass, decides to leap his way in the end zone from about seven yards out. Right, is literally caught in midair by Jesse Bates, who's been a fantastic safety so yeah. far in his rookie year. Right, catches him midair like three or four yards out. Now, at that point, drop him. Let him hit the ground. The play's dead. Yeah. Let, drive him into the dirt if needs be. Just put him on the ground however meets you need to do it. Do you practice that play? That's got to be instincts taking over. Instead, Jesse Bates, having caught David Njoku midair, just stands there with him in his arms, allowing multiple other Browns players to run up behind him and shove them both into the end zone for a touchdown. Yeah. That's terrible, terrible defensive play. Free stats for Baker. Yeah. Trust me, we're gonna, when Baker plays well, we're going to tell you, the last two <laughs> weeks, he's played as well as he played earlier in the year when the stats weren't as good. And again, I just come back to I really appreciate what we do here at PFF because I think we can really isolate the quarterback's play from the results. Yeah, so in the last two weeks, nothing, 
Nothing drastically changed except for the head coaching change, offensive coordinator change, and so nothing changed for Baker personally from a throw-for-throw standpoint. Everything around him got better, though. Baker really threw Hugh Jackson under the bus yeah. after that game. Not only did he, like, recoil from him when he tried to give him a hug after the game, but then, like, threw him under the bus in the press conference. I think he just tweeted something out, too. <laughs> That's so going out there. The last week against Atlanta was Baker's best PFF grade of the season, 85.6, but only marginally. His actual debut against the Jets was 84.3 right up there. The next game was 83. Um, but this past week, or this week, like the game against Cincinnati, was only his one, two, three, four, fifth best graded game. You so, can sort them, by the way. Just oh, so you can, there you go. Fifth best graded you can sort game. Them in so he's been too. right there. Um, it's been right there along with his essential baseline. You had those two bad games, 49.2 against the Steelers, 53.5 against the Chiefs. Um, a game against the Chargers wasn't great, but basically all the rest of the games have been right in that same ballpark. They've all been in that er, er, low 80s range, which is very good. Fun storyline to watch. Let's see if Cleveland can potentially run the table and prove Sam wrong here. Nope. Never believes in the Browns. That's Sam Monson. Uh, back to Tennessee. I'm sorry. Back to Indianapolis real quick. They stay. They remain hot. Andrew Luck making huge plays down the field. Throws for three touchdowns once again. Um, talk, there's talk about him being in the MVP conversation. He's making a move. I mean, he's playing extremely well. Um, they're down 10 in the fourth quarter. I said, I mean, this, he makes fourth quarter comebacks look easy sometimes, and he did it again. Also, Miami was just incompetent offensively. So credit the Colts defense for that as well. But, um, you know, Luck and the Colts are going to be a dangerous team if they sneak in there. They are. I mean, they're, they're in the same kind of situation as Seattle in terms of they have a quarterback that is capable of doing crazy things that you don't want to mess with. Yeah. Um, this is kind of what the Chiefs – or what the – the Colts have been in years past, right? Only this time he has a little bit more help in terms of scheme around him. Like, Andrew Luck has dragged some pretty god-awful Colts teams to the playoffs in the past few years, and this time he actually has some help. The offensive line is better. It's not amazing. The Like, uh, Braden Smith this week, the rookie, struggled pretty badly with Cam Wake, Cameron Wake, who apparently is still able to rush the passer a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, he wasn't helped out by the fact that Luck was lingering at the ass end of the pocket, really not giving him that anywhere to go. That was old Luck right. lingering. Yeah. So he wasn't helped out by that, but I think he was still in trouble regardless. Like, yeah. Wake was turning the corner and going to get pressure, whatever happened. Um, it just helped how easy it was to turn that in. But overall point is that offensive line is dramatically better than it's been in years past for the Colts. Plus, you've got this quick passing game being executed, so Luck has um, a better system around him. It's not all on him to just make magic happen. Right. Um, so the Colts, I think, are way more dangerous than they've been in the past. And in the past, it's been good enough to get them to the playoffs and to scare teams. And Luck currently is up to number six, I believe, or seven in QB grading overall. So he continues to get better and better. The uh, squirrel nuggets or whatever he's... Uh whatever he's eating over there. Squirrel nuggets? Uh, two more things to touch on real quick. Andy Dalton injured in that game against the Browns. Might be seeing some Jeff Driscoll yes. moving forward. Not ideal, I don't think, for the Bengals. You're out of your mind. Jeff Driscoll is exactly what they need. And then we got the full Josh Allen experience where he kicks things out. He got a 75-yard touchdown, spectacular throw. We got the low completion percentage, and we have him running the ball, what, 13 times? And uh, it's uh, forcing it a little bit too much, I thought the Bills. I thought he almost right. got himself like his knee mangled on one play where he got wrapped up and fallen over by a couple of defenders um this by the way is the first time i think this season that andrew luck has um 
exceeded his 2016 grade. So his 2016 grade was his career high by a distance, 90.4 in the PFF scale. And that really is the only grade he's had that's been amazing, right? The two other decent grades are 77, 79. Last, or the 2016 season was this one year where we said Andrew Luck finally showing he can be this truly elite quarterback. And it wasn't his best statistical season right? at all. This season he's been good, but it's been just below that 2016 level all the way up until now. This, I think, is the first week where he's exceeded that. We're now at 90.5, so basically identical to that 2016 season. And that's why Indianapolis is dangerous. We had somebody say they wanted us to talk about Darius Leonard on our show as well. Okay. Makes a ton of plays all over the field. Yeah. He's in the defensive rookie of the year conversation. He is. Big surprise. Stops, forced fumbles. Um, They play a zone-heavy scheme. He does a good job of keeping the ball in front of him. He's, He's played really well this year. Yeah, it's interesting. PFF does our own count of tackles. Um, There's many, many problems with the NFL's tackle statistics. They are inaccurate. They are divided up by each individual team. They're counted differently throughout the league, et cetera, et cetera. Many different ways there are terrible numbers. So PFF essentially recounts them. We do our own tackle count when we do the games. Um, And I actually give credit to the guys that made the tackle, not the middle linebacker that may be somewhere near the pile after the play. Diving on later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we have completely independent tackle counts. And even using ours, again, Darius Leonard has just been this tackle machine. So we have him with 83 solo tackles, 19 assists. But more importantly, we've got him with 40 defensive stops. And those are those tackles that are, you know, towards the line of scrimmage. They are uh, defensive successes and offensive failures on the play. So it's short of the sticks on third and fourth down. It's, it's actual impactful tackles, not just being a guy that ended the play after the offense had had some success at the time. So, yeah, he is making a ton of positive plays for this Colts defense. That includes also six sacks, his tackles. He's tied with Keekley in our system, 83 solo for both of them, and then Leighton Vander Esch with 77, and uh, second in those total stops with 40. Right, and Keekley is a tackling machine. So if you're in the same... Yeah breath is him you're doing something pretty special pretty impressive you got Luke Keekley then two rookies just from a pure tackles and and stops standpoint right up there so so there you go some Darius Leonard discussion per request Josh Allen will have more on him as we go but um more good than bad from Josh Allen in his return from his elbow injury um Blake Bortles had one of the worst throws again he's throwing end over end punts I mean why is that I don't want to I don't want to talk about it we have to go but just I, I just wanted to say that this idea that if you have to ask the question, what happens if our quarterback actually forgets how to throw the ball at some point in the game, it's you probably shouldn't have him as your starting quarterback. It's not good. Like if that's a question that has to come up in the course of meeting for the week, yeah. you've got problems. Problems, by the way, that aren't solved by firing the offensive coordinator. That just happened to. Nathaniel Hackett is out yeah. in Jacksonville. Like the idea that you have to ask that question in the lead up to a big game is probably a bigger issue than who's the offensive coordinator at the time. Yeah, I'd say so. So that'll do it. I think we, tr- we tried to hit the entire playoff races on both sides, NFC and AFC. We'll be back again next week or later in the week with a preview of week 13. Are we still doing free PFF elites right now? Uh, last day. Cyber Monday is the last day of a free okay. PFF elite trial. So Go check get- it out. Get to profootballfocus.com. I'm supposed to fold the papers. Sign up. Yeah, I'm not folding. I'm uh, crumpling fold. up to a ball. Fold the papers. Thanks for every, to everyone for tuning in live or listening on the podcast. We'll see you again later in the week.
Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. 